Welcome to Money Metals Midweek Memo. News and commentary relating to sound money, the precious metals markets, and the economy. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. I've got a song running through my head. It's an 80s song, so I'm dating myself, by a new wave band called Talk Talk. And the song is by the same name. Here's the lyric. If every sign that I see is complete, then I'm a fool in your game. And all you want to do is tell me your lies. Won't show me the other side. You're just wasting my time. All you do to me is talk, talk. Talk, 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 talk. All you do to me is talk, talk. This song should be the theme song for the Federal Reserve. Now, you might have noticed that there was a pretty healthy dip in the price of gold yesterday. The yellow metal was down a little over $25 an ounce. It closed at about $2,038 an ounce. And there was also a big sell-off in the stock market. The Dow was down over 230 points. So what gives? Well, the Federal Reserve ran some open-mouth operations. Fed Governor Chris Waller ran open-mouth operations, to be precise. Now, what do I mean by open-mouth operations? Well, basically, it's when one of these guys from the feds, uh, whether it be Jerome Powell or one of the other fed officials, they go somewhere and they talk. And the markets listen to these talks, and then they respond accordingly. Uh, Basically, by just saying stuff, the Fed can move the markets and in some ways, at least in a modest way, actually do monetary policy just by talking, kind of projecting into the future what they might be thinking about doing. And the markets are extremely sensitive to anything that the Fed people say. So Waller delivered a speech at the Brookings Institution And it was widely perceived to be a bit hawkish. And by hawkish, I mean he kind of insinuated that the Fed might not deliver the desperately sought-after interest rate cuts as quickly as everybody hopes. And the prospect of not getting rate cuts pretty fast tends to send traders into a panic. You know, it's pretty amazing when you really stop and think about it. This market is not driven by fundamentals. Fundamentals hardly seem to matter at all. Nobody cares about the value of a company on the stock market. They don't care about you know the value of a commodity. They're not looking at supply and demand dynamics. They're not even really looking at the general trajectory of the economy in terms of what it's actually doing. For instance, the Empire Manufacturing Index came in at a negative 43.7. They were expecting it to be negative 5. That was the lowest read on this index since May 2020, so at the height of the pandemic lockdowns. But that really hardly registered a blip. Everybody was responding to Waller. And, you know, we live in this upside-down world where good economic news is actually bad because it might influence the Fed people, right? That's all anybody seems to care about. What is the Fed going to do or not do? So actually, the empire manufacturing, insofar as it moved the markets, it probably 
mitigated a little bit of what Waller said, because this bad economic news would uh, be perceived to allow the Fed to move forward with the rate hikes or the rate cuts. I'm sorry, rate cuts. And that's what everybody wants. It's all about the Fed and the rate cuts. When people think that the central bank is going to go back to delivering the easy money drug, well, let's get the party started now. And if it looks like the Fed may hold back on that easy money drug, well, we're not going to have a party, just sell everything. So again, the biggest market driver is what the Fed people say or how the markets perceive the Fed is going to respond to a given bit of economic data. So Waller came out, he did a speech, he was a little cautious on the rate cuts, and everybody panicked. He said, I'm becoming more confident that we are within striking distance of achieving a sustainable level of 2% PCE inflation. And then he said, as long as inflation doesn't rebound and stay elevated, I believe the FOMC will be able to lower the target range for the federal funds rate this year. So, so far, so good, right? Uh, 2% inflation's within our within our uh, sights, and the rate cuts can definitely happen this year. So, at this point, you know, everybody should have been excited. But then Waller reiterated his support for just three rate cuts, not six, like the market so desperately wants. He said, quote, this view is consistent with the FOMC's economic projections in December, in which the median projection was three 25 basis point cuts in 2024. So he started hinting, yeah, yeah, we're going to give you some cuts, but probably not as much cutting as you would like. And he certainly doesn't see the need for aggressive cuts to be priced into the market now. In other words, he was kind of cautioning that you probably shouldn't be banking on the cuts right now. Wait until, you know, something actually happens. He said, when the time is right to begin lowering rates, I believe it can and should be lowered methodically and carefully. With economic activity and labor markets in good shape and inflation coming down gradually to 2%, I see no reason to move as quickly or cut as rapidly as in the past. Uh Uh-oh. That's where you got the big sell-off in gold. You got the big sell-off in the stock market because people heard him say, no reason to move as quickly or rapidly as in the past. Well, no, that's not what the markets want. They want rate cuts. They want rate cuts now, and they want big, deep rate cuts. They want easy money, right? I think deep down, what the markets really want is they want to go back to 0%. They like the 0%, right? The stock market loves the 0% interest rates because it's stimulative. Now, it just blows up bubbles, but, you know, bubbles look good while they're inflated. Don't look so good when the air starts coming out of them. So, Waller also said, quote, I believe policy is set properly right now. So, he's saying that 5.5% interest rates, that's Good. He said, it is restrictive and should continue to put downward pressure on demand to allow us to continue to see moderate inflation readings. Now, I want to take a little side note here. Notice that the target here is to devalue your money by 2% every single year. So every five years, the value of your dollar goes down 10%. 
as it compounds, it sounds worse and worse, right? They're not saying that prices are going to go back down. They're just going to say they're going to keep rising just slower than what we saw over the past year or two. If you ask me, that's not great news. I mean, I need to see some prices coming down before I get really excited, but that's just me, right? So I posted on uh, the Money Metals X account yesterday, always remember that what these people say doesn't really matter in the long run. Pay attention to what they do, because what they do is what's actually going to impact the trajectory of the economy. Whatever Waller said today really doesn't matter. He didn't do anything. He didn't change any policy. It just drove a market reaction based on perception. You should always ask yourself, what is the reality? Now, of course, I mean, you can make money if you can play these ups and downs in the markets on the short term. But if you are trying to build and preserve long-term wealth, you probably ought to look at the actual trajectory of the economy, and that means paying attention to what these people are doing. And what they're actually doing is they're devaluing your money. They're still creating inflation, right? So let's kind of parse out what's really going on. We got the December CPI data uh, last Thursday. And if you just stand back and look at the numbers, be data dependent like the Fed people keep telling you that they are. It doesn't seem to me that price inflation is beat, right? In fact, I think Waller is either, even overstating the progress. No matter what financial news talking heads or Fed people, or, you, know, you know, the guy on CNBC or the spokesperson over at the White House, no matter what they say, every inflation number in the CPI is still way above the 2% target. Again, I think the 2% target is kind of, I don't know what the word is for it. It's a little corrupt if you ask me, but it is what it is. That's the target. They're nowhere near it. Headline CPI came in at 3.4% in December. There was a 0.3% month-on-month increase, so a pretty healthy increase in prices just on a monthly basis. And the headline number was up from 3.1% in November. So if you just look at that headline number, price inflation heated up, right? It didn't cool. So an honest headline would have said, price inflation comes in hotter than expected in December. But they didn't really say that, right? They kind of played it off like, yeah, it's fine. You know, it's all good. If we strip out the more volatile food and energy prices, I say this all the time when I talk about this inflation data. You know, they, they like core inflation. They like to strip out uh, food and energy because they are more volatile on a short-term basis. I wish I could strip food and energy out of my budget, right? That'd be nice if I could just say, hey, uh, I'm not going to have to pay for food or gasoline this month. That would be great for my budget. I can't do that, but they can do it for their, uh, for their policymaking. Anyway, when you strip it out, you get the core CPIs, uh, CPI, it was up by 0.3% on a monthly basis. And that was the same as the 0.3% increase we saw in November. The annual core CPI was 3.9%, so almost 4%. It was down a tick from 4% the prior month. Now, 
I think it's important to kind of look at the trends, right? You don't want to take just December's data in isolation. If we're looking at the core CPI, and the core is supposed to be kind of the, the better representation of price inflation because we've gotten rid of the volatile food and energy. Core has been hovering in that 4% range since July. And I'm not great at math, but you don't have to be a math major to know that 4% is nearly double, or it is double, the Fed's 2% target. So to put that monthly core CPI increase into some kind of perspective, it would need to average just under 0.17% per month in order to hit the 2% annual target. So if we had an entire year and every month core inflation or core CPI was 0.17%, that would equal the 2% target. We were at 0.3%. So again, we're nearly double what we need to be seeing to really be able to say the Fed is close to putting inflation back into the bottle and getting that, uh, that, that data down to that 2% target. So, again, you know, looking at the core, that's supposed to be the metric we pay the most attention to, right? It's worse than the headline number. And I say this a lot when I talk about price inflation. It's important, important to keep in mind that the increase of prices is generally worse than the government data suggests. If you go back to the 1990s, the Bureau of Labor Statistics revised the CPI formula so that it now understates the actual rise in prices. If you go back and use the CPI formula that was used back in the 1970s when we had you know, the, the last big bout or the previous big bout of price inflation, if you use that, take that formula, plug today's numbers into it. CPI is actually close to double the official numbers. So, you know, if I'm saying that uh, we're at, you know, 4%, it's really closer to 8 if you go back and use the old formula. I wrote an article this week published over at moneymetals.com slash news that actually explains the way and the reasons for the BLS going back and making these changes. Uh, you'll be shocked to learn that the government would prefer that you think inflation isn't as bad as it really is, okay? So anyway, check out that article. I will uh, link to it on uh, the, the show notes for this episode. So anyway, the higher-than-expected headline CPI in December kind of dampened hope for interest rate cuts by the Fed, right? So we had the December meeting, and everybody was like, oh, the Fed's done. You know, they've, they've won the victory over inflation. We're going to get rate cuts now. And then we got this CPI data, and it was a little hotter than expected. So it did dampen enthusiasm a little bit. Although many market analysts tried to spin that CP re CPI report as not so bad. And even after that, so, you know, the most recent data that I found, traders are still pricing in an 81% chance that the Fed will start cutting rates in March. And that's according to the uh, CME's FedWatch tool. So most people out there in the mainstream believe 
despite what the CPI data might show, despite what Waller says, they're all kind of saying, yeah, we really do think the Fed's going to do a rate cut in March. And I think this underscores the fact that the markets desperately want rate cuts. Because I think most people recognize that this debt-riddled economy can't function long-term with interest rates at this level, right? I think some of the optimism that the Fed is going to cut rates is wishful thinking. Or maybe it's a subconscious acknowledgement of reality. You know, maybe deep down people are like, you know, we've got an awful lot of debt in this economy. You probably can't run for a long time with interest rates at 5.5%. And this really gets to the crux of the point that I'm trying to make. What the Fed says about winning the inflation fight doesn't really matter. It's all about what the Fed ultimately does. In a sane world, there would be no talk about rate cuts, right? Inflation is still high. And I talked about it last week. Monetary conditions are still relatively loose from a historical standpoint. And this is uh, borne out by the Chicago Fed's own metrics. They have... Um, their uh, financial conditions index, and it is showing that from a historical standpoint, financial conditions are still loose. Yes, 5.5% interest rates seem tight, especially when you compare it to more than a decade of 0% interest rates, but 5.5% really isn't that high in historical terms. In fact, if you go back to the 1970s, and that was the last time we really saw a big, you know, big jump in price inflation. Paul Volcker, who is the uh, Fed chair, drove interest rates to 20% in the early 80s in order to slay that price inflation. Because the dirty little secret is you need rates to be higher than the CPI. And if you factor in the fact that the real CPI, if calculated more honestly, is at least doubled the advertised CPI, real interest rates right now are still negative, right? We're looking at a CPI of somewhere in the neighborhood of 6 point, uh, I'm trying to do math in my head here, let's see, we're at 3.4, so it would be 6.8%. So we really need the Fed to get rates over 6.8% if we're going to really say, yeah, financial conditions are pretty tight. So no, no, Mr. Waller, monetary conditions are not tight, as he claimed. Nevertheless, even the hawkish Fed people are at least giving nod, or giving a nod, to winning the inflation fight. I was listening to an interview by Jim Grant, and, and Grant is one of my favorite uh, economic commentators uh, mainly just because he has such a wonderful way of putting words together. And in this interview, he made the case that it's really too early for the Fed to declare mission accomplished. And, and they kind of are, right? Even when you get people like Waller, who are kind of trying to walk back expectations, even he was like, yeah, we're making progress. We're, you know, if things go, if they keep in this trajectory, everything's going to be great. We've won this war. And Grant says that it's too early to declare mission accomplished. I wrote up a summary of this interview and posted the actual video again over at moneymetals.com slash news. So you can check that out there and I'll link again to that in the show notes page as well. But uh, definitely worth listening to what Grant said. But 
I think he hit the nail on the head when he disagreed with the notion that inflation is beat. He said inflation is actually endemic. In other words, it's regularly occurring. It recedes, it reappears, it never disappears, he said. That's because the reality is this economy is dependent on easy money. It's dependent on artificially low interest rates. This is why, again, the markets are desperate for rate cuts. Even if they won't say it out loud, everybody knows an economy loaded up with debt can't keep plugging along in a high interest rate environment. High interest rates and a lot of debt, you know, it's like oil and water. Doesn't mix. And we're already seeing the negative impact of higher interest rates with corporate bankruptcies at a higher level now than they were during the pandemic lockdowns. Meanwhile, consumer debt is at record levels. Federal government debt, record levels. Everybody's levered up to the hilt. I think the Fed people know this. I mean, they're not going to say it out loud, right? But they have to know, right? They have to. I mean, I'm not a Fed guy, right? I'm not tasked with running monetary policy. I'm not a genius. I'm just a guy doing some economic analysis on a podcast. If I know, surely they know too. And Grant said he thinks they know. And that's why we've seen this kind of reluctant pivot. He said, misallocation of capital, let us call them misguided because of the false interest rates on offer, introduced an element of frailty into the structure of things. And what the Fed might be thinking is that notwithstanding a 3.7% unemployment, notwithstanding great looks you get from the Atlanta GDP now data, notwithstanding all of that, we don't want to overdo it because of this underlying frailty induced by this decade-long experiment with 0% borrowing costs. So yeah, there's too much debt and interest rates are too high. You know it. I know it. The Fed people know it. The markets know it. And that's why despite the bob and weave you get from people like Waller every once in a while, everybody is basically lining up for a Fed pivot. Now, ultimately, I think the markets are right about rate cuts. I think no matter what Jerome Powell says, no matter what Janet Yellen says, no matter what anybody in any official position says, I think we are going to get rate cuts and I think we're going to get them sooner rather than later. And that's whether or not the inflation genie is stuffed back into the bottle or not. And she's not. But that being said, the markets are right. They're right about rate cuts coming down the pike, but they're right for the wrong reason. It's not going to play out in the way everybody in the mainstream seems to think. The mainstream narrative is that the Fed has essentially won the inflation fight, and it did it without wrecking the economy. That means the central bank can now go back to the easy money that the economy depends on. And it can guide us into a soft landing. So soft landing, that just means no recession, no deep economic crash, right? We might have some economic slowdown, might see a little bit of unemployment, but nobody thinks, or I wouldn't say nobody, but most people don't think there's going to be a recession now, even though there's an awful lot of data, uh, the Empire Manufacturing Index that I just mentioned that would tell you otherwise. Most people are pretty sanguine on the economy. The Fed's done it. Mission accomplished. They did it right. Everything's fine. 
I don't think so. I think the more likely scenario is that the Fed is going to be forced to cut interest rates, and they'll be forced to cut more deeply and more quickly than anybody expects. Like, I'm saying go to zero. And on top of that, go back to quantitative easing, all because of some type of crisis in the economy that's precipitated by the higher interest rates. Consider this. Interest rates right now are at the same level as they were in 2006. That was at the height of the hiking cycle before the Great Recession. Now, today, after more than a decade of 0% interest rates and trillions of dollars in quantitative easing money creation, there is even more debt and malinvestment in the economy now than there was then. So, If rising interest rates broke the economy, led to the financial crisis and the Great Recession back then, what makes anybody think that things are going to be different this time around? Why should we expect a soft landing? Why should we think that the Fed couldn't do it then, but they can do it today? If, and by if I mean when, the economy does crash and there is some kind of financial crisis, the Fed will cut rates and it will go back to zero and it will relaunch quantitative easing. In other words, it's going to go right back to creating inflation because that's the fork the Fed knows. History tells us the Fed will not hold the line against inflation during an economic crisis. They'll tell you, well, we have to deal with this crisis. We have to do whatever we have to do to get us out of the crisis, and we'll worry about the inflation later. That's how Fed people think. And as I've said before, any declaration of victory over inflation and a reversal in the monetary policy that's being used to fight inflation, that's really a surrender to inflation. It's important to recognize any so-called victory over inflation means the central bank is going to return to inflationary policies. And if there's a recession, an economic crash, a financial crisis, it's going to return to those inflationary policies with vengeance, just like happened during the pandemic. In effect, an end to rate increases and subsequent rate cuts, whether it's because of a crisis or just because you know, the Fed's won and the economy's great, this always means, this loosening monetary policy means we're going back to more price inflation. In other words, as soon as the Fed declares victory, inflation wins. So, don't fall for the open mouth operations. Don't just pay attention to what some people at the Fed are saying. Keep everything that's going on, every data release, every press conference, every comment that comes out of the White House, keep it in the context of what's going on in the bigger picture of the economy. And remember, we have high interest rates, we have all kinds of debt, we have a lot of malinvestment, and we have a historical precedent for a financial crisis and a big crash when interest rates are this high in this kind of environment. That's the bottom line here. So it's kind of interesting to put gold's price performance in the context of this Fed inflation fight. Last year, as the central bank was hiking rates, we saw gold pretty much range-bound between about 1800 and 1950 an ounce. 
every once in a while it would drop below 1800 and it would test 1750 and we got a few times where it would make a run at $2,000 an ounce. Uh, and that was whenever there was any sense that the CPI might be cooling or if the economic data got shaky, uh, indicating that the Fed might be set to reverse course and stop hiking rates. But then we'd get this, you know, like a strong jobs report. We'd get some good GDP data and, and gold would sell off in anticipation of the Fed keeping rates higher for longer. Now, it's important to note that despite some pretty significant headwinds of higher interest rates and a strong dollar, gold performed pretty well during the hiking cycle. Higher interest rates are generally considered a headwind for holding gold because gold is a non-yielding asset. Nevertheless, gold held its own even through the hiking cycle. And then everybody decided that the Fed was done. The hiking was over, the inflation fight was won, and we saw gold surge to a record high of around $2,135 an ounce in early December. Uh, that's when rate cut mania took hold. But with that record, we saw some selling, some consolidation. I think gold got oversold. People got a little ahead of themselves. It tumbled back well below $2,000 an ounce in the following week before rallying and consolidating above $2,000 an ounce after the December Fed meeting. And if you recall, as the markets were really anticipating rate cuts, the Fed ran some open mouth operations. They're trying to stifle market enthusiasm, right? Powell came out in that December meeting and he was talking about rate cuts and nobody talked about rate cuts up to that point. In fact, they, they claimed that they weren't even considering rate cuts at the November meeting. And then all of a sudden in December, rate cuts were on the table. And then after that, some other Fed officials came out and said, well, wait a minute. We don't. So, you see how the Fed operates here, right? They do stuff, they say stuff, they throw out trial balloons, and 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 then they try to to just kind of they they kind of try to keep the it's like lane assist in your car, right? I think that's what the Fed open mouth operations are doing. They're trying to keep uh, the Fed between the the dashed lines as it's going down the highway or, or the uh, the markets. So after the December meeting no matter what they said, it was pretty hard to deny that the Fed was declaring victory or surrendering, however you want to look at it. While the central bank held rates steady, it released those dot plots and it signaled the three rate cuts for 2024. It signaled another four rate cuts in 2025, and uh, that would lower rates to between 2 and 2.5%. And since that time, we've seen solid support for gold at $2,000 an ounce. Uh, we've seen frequent runs at gold trying to go above and hold 2050. And that's where we are now. So I think the best term for what we're seeing in the gold market right now is a toss-up. And that term isn't original to me. I actually saw another, another analyst use that term. But there is some softening in expectation for rate cuts. And we can see this in the uh, comics. The most recent data from the Commodity Futures Trading Commission Commitments of Traders report, so the COTS report, 
It showed that money managers were unwinding their long positions that were built up during the recent rate cut speculative mania. And that would seem to be a bearish indicator. But on the other side of the coin, money managers seem reluctant to build up significant short positions. So long positions in gold futures uh, in the managed money category fell by 20,000 and 51 contracts to 134,333 long positions. But the short positions only increased by 639 contracts to 45,874. So net longs have fallen to a two-month low of 88,459 contracts. Meanwhile, safe haven buying due to the ongoing conflict in the Middle East and robust central bank gold buying has supported the price of gold despite increasing uh, big fund managers moderating their bullish stance. Now, if the markets really understood what's happening, if they realized that the Fed has already broken the economy, uh, it just hasn't manifested yet, we'd see gold and silver running much higher than it is today. But people don't get it. And they won't get it until they see it. It's like the Great Recession. Remember, even in early 2008, most people were insisting that everything was fine. And as I said in the show last week, the Fed hit peak interest rates way back in 2006. They were already cutting in 2007. The financial crisis didn't happen until the end of 2008. So it's not surprising that we haven't really seen a crisis during the latest hiking cycle. I mean, we did have a crisis, but the Fed managed to bail out the banks and plug that hole in the dam last March when we had those bank failures. So regardless, most people are operating under a false sense of security. I was talking to a friend of mine about the latest budget fiasco. Apparently, Congress is trying to pass another stopgap bill to keep things running until March. In other words, they're kicking the can down the road. It's a fun game until you run out of road. And the Fed is going to run out of the road. But until then, the game will continue. And uh, to mix game metaphors, it's a little like musical chairs. Everything's fine until the music stops playing and there aren't enough chairs. The music is going to stop playing and there aren't enough chairs. So you need to get a chair. And by that, I mean you need to do something to sit on when this mess unfolds. So... Kind of what I'm getting at here in a very awkward transition is now is the time to consider adding gold and silver to your portfolio because I think prices are relatively low given the actual financial conditions that we're in. In fact, I think gold's very, very low given the financial conditions that we're in. So give the folks over at Money Metals a call. 800-800-1865, or you can purchase right online. But if you want to talk to somebody and kind of get a feel for how uh, precious metals might fit into your portfolio, maybe what some good product recommendations are, give the guys a call today. Uh, They're fantastic, and I can't recommend them more. So that is a wrap for this episode of Money Metals Midweek Memo. You can get more information about all of the things that I've talked about today and more over at moneymetals.com slash news. And if you want to get the latest news right in your inbox, make sure you sign up on our email list. Of course, you can subscribe to the Midweek Memo on your favorite podcasting platform and make sure you tune into our Market Wrap podcast every Friday where we get, you'll get a quick wrap of the week and also some interviews that we're doing. So thanks again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great rest of your week. And again, I appreciate you listening.